Good afternoon. Nice to sit here with all of you. Um, and I see upon arrival that the, the name of our um, sacred setting this afternoon is Dharma Yoga, right? Is it Yoga Dharma? Dharma Yoga. Hmm. Dharma Yoga. That's a nice uh, idea. Two very interesting, uh, really Sanskrit words, as, as I'm sure you're all aware. And so, forgive me for the spontaneity, but let me speak a little bit about those two words and see where where we'll go, where we will end up. Hmm. Dharma. Dharma, of course, is, uh, uh, has a number of different meanings. And um, it uh, really the, the feeling and sense of the word um, extends itself to imply uh, purpose, hmm. purposefulness, hmm. meaning, and, uh, and, and value. It often um, is rendered in terms of moral purpose or moral obligation, hmm? religious obligation, ethical and moral responsibility. So as you, as you can see from, this is more the general term, it implies a purpose-driven uh, Life, hmm? and of course, also, it uh, it speaks in terms of its application to the idea of of, of moral law, which may sound a little bit um, uh, inhibiting uh, in today's uh, society. Contemporary progressive society, it uh, it uh, it is softened, of course, the idea of the moral law when, um, uh, as referred to by the term dharma, when we understand that that the moral law, in a dharmic sense of the term, as it's explained in the sacred text and so forth, is a a, um, a consequentialist type of. Uh, of uh, moral application. Um, in other words, the, the, the law is, Dharma as law speaks more to us of, of moral, if you will, principles, rather than laws in particular. Hmm? Principles that will be applied at different times in different circumstances. Hmm? whereby the laws that arise out of them will be uh, other than perhaps they were in previous times, which all speaks about, of course, the idea, consequentialism, that uh, with regard to moral law, that, that the consequences of applying the law in any given circumstances will be taken into consideration in terms of determining what the actual law is. Hmm. You follow me? I mean, it's... Simple enough, but uh, it's a it's a, just like it might be the law that you shouldn't kill somebody, hmm? but the circumstances might be such 
that uh, without killing the mother or without killing the child, the mother might not live, hmm? for example, during pregnancy or something like that. So you have circumstances. And then you have to look at the consequences. And then with some many shades of gray, if you will, the black and white moral law uh, becomes much more blurred hmm? and more applicable for all times and all circumstances. And the idea that morality then is rooted ontologically, hmm? that the world has a dharma, has a meaning, has a purpose of its own, not the one we create for it in the world of our mind, so to speak, but outside of the small world of our mind, the world has an order, has a structure, has a purpose. Hmm? Hmm. And uh, at the same time, that sounds comforting to some extent, and uh, and um, and perhaps spiritual to some extent. It it it, it uh, the moral law, if you will, the moral principle, in fact, that the moral law is drawn from. Um, nonetheless, has a jurisdiction, hmm? and the jurisdiction is with regard to the outer world. The, wor- the objective world. Hmm? That means to say it does not have jurisdiction within the subjective world, the inner world. Although there's a connection between the two, the moral law and the inner world, the moral law for the outer world and the lawless, if you will, by comparison, inner world, hmm? subjective world. Um, what I mean by that is that the moral law, however dynamically applied according to different time and circumstance as it should be, to determine the rightness of a particular action or a particular thought. When I speak of thought and action, I speak of both a, 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 a gross form, if you will, of expression within the outer world and a subtle form. As much as when I speak of the inner and the subjective world, I speak of something beyond beyond action and beyond thought. Hmm? I, I qualify that because often the subjective world is identified also with the thought world, and to some extent that's true. But here I speak of it in a deeper sense, that there's a knowing beyond thinking, for example, hmm? and it's much more comprehensive than anything you could have thought of, and it's, it, it transcends thought itself and, and expression and language and action in the world. So the moral principle, it pertains to the outer world, to the world of thoughts and actions. This is its jurisdiction. So there's, there's right thinking. You might call it politically correct thinking, for example, to use a, 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 a term with, with, with regard to you know, the political landscape of the time or something like that. But right thinking, of course, it probably goes beyond all the politics of the world, but right thinking and right, uh, right living. Hmm? So thought and action grounded in the moral uh, principle. Hmm? Uh, but all of this, as I say, as good as it might get, pertains to the outer world. Hmm? Um, those who 
on the other hand, uh, uh, live within the subjective world proper, con- the world of consciousness proper, that, uh, that, uh, um, the, uh, the jurisdiction of the moral law, hmm, uh, um, well, let's say it has no jurisdiction there. Nonetheless, there is, as I say, a connection between the two. Hmm? And, and that is this, that the moral law is as good in the real sense of the term. Hmm? That means to say there's a relative good and a relative bad hmm? um, that will change with time and circumstance and so forth. But an overarching good um, is like we have good karma and bad karma. We really don't want any karma. Hmm? Right? In as much as that karma is that action that is reactionary and binding thereby. Hmm? Whether we, we take birth in good circumstances or we take birth in less than ideal circumstances, taking birth itself and dying, as the Gita says, wherever is born, death is certain. Wherever dies, birth is certain. The idea is to stop birth and death, all of which are part of the karmic um, um, realm, all within the realm of action and thought in pursuit of um, fulfillment um, in the context of identifying oneself with the physio-biological complex, the psychic and physical dimensions of ourself, which we are not. This is, of course, the teaching of yoga. We are not thought, neither the, the actions of the senses that the body is constituted of. These are both manifestations of the objective world, and we are of the subjective world. We are that which is we can't hardly talk about because there's nothing like it in the objective world. We define things by comparing them to others. There is no thing like consciousness, because it's not a thing. Hmm? And the best things in life are not things. Hmm? And we are constituted of that, I don't want to say thing, but <laughs> but, but that, therefore it said, you are that. <laughs> and that's all we can say. Hmm? There's a little more we can say, we'll get to that. But you are that. Hmm? You are that means you are not this and you are not that. Hmm? You are not this, you are not that. But we very much identify with this and that, and we have, a, we have an identity that's based on thinking, I am this or I am that. I am American, I am female, I am male, I'm, I'm American, I'm, 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 I'm Democrat, I'm Republic, I'm Hindu, I'm Catholic. Uh, these are all thises and thats, and neti neti, the, the sacred shuti, uh, the Upanishad says, not this, not that. Hmm. Not this, not, not that means, what can we say about it? Hmm? You understand? What can we say that about that which is ineffable? Hmm? What we can say, it's not this. <laughs> it's definitely not that. Neither is it this or that. There are all the things that are effable that we can talk about hmm? that lend themselves to mind, to thought, to deed, and so forth, hmm? to action. Hmm? When in fact, the pure subjective realm cannot be attained by action. 
That's why yoga, of course, is not just a physical <laughs> exercising calisthenic uh, you know, system. That's a byproduct of it, certainly, but it has something else in mind. Hmm? And we'll have to get to that as we talk about the word yoga hmm? in greater detail. Hmm? Not by exercising the body, hmm? speech, which would be an example of that, hmm? not by word, not, not by thought, not by mind, can that be can attained, accessed, apprehended? Hmm? We cannot say, we can say what it's not, we cannot say what it is, but in another sense, we cannot say enough about what it is. Words, we need more words hmm, to try to speak about it in such a way, the objective is, to create some sense of urgency. We might go there. Hmm? We might go there. You might take to a path for going there, to enter the inner world. Hmm? And only as much as the moral law or principle supports such an exercise of going there, does it have real and real meaning? Is it a real good? Hmm? Hmm? Only as the moral law serves as some type of support, which it can and should, hmm? for the pursuit of inner life in the beginning of one's practice, does it itself have any connection with the inner world, with the subjective world? That means to say that, that let us take a means then, for an example, to go within. How will we enter the inner world, the subjective world? Hmm? Well, we need, we need something from that world to help us. Hmm? That's very practical. We've already explained thought, speech, action, hmm? from this side. These are not uh, the proper vehicles. However much we acquire, for example, materially, which is largely our preoccupation, acquisition. Hmm? Because the thought is that by getting more, we'll be more. Of course, we know that in that sense, more is less, and and less is actually more. (laughs) So uh, this is... misconception on our parts to acquire and as much as we might acquire whatever powerful position whatever uh, notoriety we may attain in the minds of ourselves or others hmm, it's all false currency you cannot purchase hmm, real estate real estate do you follow me? Hmm? that which is sat hmm, a place of being a state that is real, hmm? and neither will any amount of material acquisition make one happy. There will be no sat, no being, no estate, that means, no real, hmm? no sat, and no ananda. Hmm? By any amount of acquisition and exertion of effort hmm? uh, in connection with the uh, our, our material uh, faculties, not by an intellectual exercise, not by a, a mental exercise, not by any physical prowess. Hmm? Whatever we may acquire by this. Indeed, what to speak of giving us power for purchasing in the uh, uh, real estate, as I say, in the inner world. Hmm? I'm not sure if it's a seller's market there or a buyer's market right now, but... <laughs> there is something up there. There's always land available there. Hmm? 
There's always space available, and it's very accommodating. Hmm? It's not only spacious, not only is it real ownership, in the words, it's not just renter, renting like here. Hmm? You can really stay there. Hmm? Not only is it enduring, real, but it's, it's accommodating in another sense. It's loving, hmm? affectionate. Hmm? It's full of anandam. But you cannot go there. Hmm? By anything that we acquire from here, indeed the acquisition that we pursue here, hmm? really in pursuit of what the subjective world holds for us, which is unbeknownst to us, and so we look outside hmm? through our identification with the objective world that we ourselves have animated and brought to life, although it has no life unto, unto itself. We have projected meaning into the objective world and chasing after the meaning that we are, hmm? that we've projected into any particular material object. Do you follow me? Hmm? Is, that is what is interesting to us. It is ourself that is interesting. Hmm? As much as we reside in something by way of projecting ourself therein, as consciousness has the capacity to do, that thing becomes meaningful to us. We, we should trace it out and see hmm? why it is valuable, why it has meaning. The thing in itself, however, upon acquiring or the appearance of acquisition, hmm? the results from such outer pursuit. It is only an appearance of acquisition, isn't it? Because we don't really, we can't own anything. Hmm? We're enters here. Hmm? And, you know, there are no, um, there are no, like, renter's laws or anything like that. You can be kicked out at any time without notice. <laughs> then, then you cannot make any protestation. Uh, there are no protections. Hmm? At any law, at any time, we may be, we may be kicked out, ejected. Hmm? So not only is the acquisition, if you will, or apparent acquisition of the world that we strive for, hmm, does it not have purchasing power for real estate, hmm? real ground on which one can actually stand? Here, the rug is constantly being pulled from beneath our feet. Hmm? We look for firm ground to stand on, but um, the more we acquire, hmm, there's an appearance of that, but as I say, it may be taken at any time. And therefore, not only is the acquisition or the apparent acquisition hmm, not such that it affords us purchasing power for real estate, hmm, but rather, worse or moreover, hmm, it makes us less qualified for such. While we think we're getting somewhere, hmm? while we think we're going forward by acquisition, we're actually, in terms of our actual pursuit of happiness, hmm? firm ground to stand on, security, hmm? Um, enduring life, hmm? security, and love, hmm? this is what we want. hmm? By material acquisition, in pursuit of this, we become further and further from it. It means this is the principle of, of, of karma that we just addressed uh, moments earlier. In other words, the more you take, it's not the more you own, the more you, it's the more you owe. Hmm? Right? <laughs> That's the way it works. So while there's an appearance of acquisition, the reality is you only acquired a debt. Hmm? 
the acquisition is not there hmm, to actually hold on to and call your own, hmm, but it'll go away. The debt will remain. Hmm? And long after it's gone, you will remain paying for it. Hmm? So you see, you by this kind of outward, if you will, acquisition in pursuit of what is only available within, we only become more and more in debt. Hmm? It's like I, when I was a kid, I used to see these Tarzan movies, you know, and, uh, and somebody would be out in the jungle and he would fall into the quicksand and then they would struggle to get out and Tarzan would say, don't move. <laughs> because the more you would move, the more you would go down. Hmm? And Tarzan would swing in on a rope. And now you had to move. Hold on to the rope. Hmm? Of course, this is some effort in spiritual practice. Hold on to the rope. And when you hold on to the rope and Tarzan pulls you out, you don't go, I sure held that rope good, didn't I? No. You think, Tarzan, I love you. <laughs> uh, it's all by your grace. Hmm? So this is the way. The way to go by grace. The way to go hmm, has to come from that side. A chariot has to come from that side hmm, to take us there. Hmm? An escort. Hmm? This is the idea. Hmm? In a word, we can call that yoga. Hmm? No, that's a big word too. Hmm? But yoga is a very, in all its varied forms, of course, it's a very interesting uh, practice. It's a very backwards moving kind of exercise, if you will, even, even physically speaking, as some of you yogins know, it's an exercise, if you will, that, that, that where you kind of are exercised hmm? rather than I'm exercising and you let the body kind of just, isn't it? Stretch yourself and you don't make an, an effort too much and strain yourself and there's no, you know, there's no place for pulling the muscles. They're not supposed to be in yoga. They let them... This is, a, this is the general hatha yoga and the stanga yoga also in different positions and so forth for sitting and, um, um, and all for, for stilling the mind. Hmm? It's not action for pursuing demands of the mind that I might be better suited that I will, I will pump up my body to pursue demands of the, of the mind rather, rather that, that the mind itself will be stilled. Hmm? Isn't it? And have less demands. Hmm? So this yoga is actually, you know, it comes from the sacred texts of India, from, for example, the sutras of Patanjali, or the sixth chapter of the Gita speaks about the same type of yoga that we find in Patanjali's sutras, Astanga Yoga. Some of you are familiar with that. Hmm? Dhyan Yoga. Hmm? Um, so this is a, is a spiritual uh, way, if you will. It, it's not something that's... Uh, it's very interesting because uh, if you look at ancient India, I mean, they were doing yoga. I mean, that's weird. I mean, compared to every other culture, right, hmm? in the world. Hmm? Um, I don't know what was going on in Europe at the time. It probably wasn't yoga. <laughs> Let's put it like that. <laughs> and we are, the, we are the standard of civilization. I'm not sure we got that right. So... Uh, a very, a very different type of, uh, of of movement, right? And it's it, it's it's a it's it's 
it's meant to um, help us traverse the inner landscape. This is the idea of yoga. And it comes from out of nowhere. It comes out of these sacred texts, the whole um, technology of yoga. It's, it's coming from revelation, if you will, a methodology. Revelation means the very principle that, that comprehensive knowing, perfect knowing, requires a perfect method. That makes sense. If the finite seeks to know the infinite, how will it be possible? Mathematically, the finite cannot apprehend the, the infinite. You follow me? Hmm? But if the infinite should choose to reveal itself to the finite, then everything possible, hmm? such as the nature of the infinite. You follow me? Hmm. So this is the principle of revelation, that if, if, the, if God, if the world, if reality, hmm, the ultimate reality wants itself to be known, Hmm? then it can be known, otherwise otherwise not. Hmm? And it does, and so there are expressions of ultimate reality hmm? in the world, like love letters to us. This is like Bhagavad Gita, for example. This is like a love letter from Krishna. Sarvadharman puritajjama mekam sharanam braja, he says. Another, uh, to give it a dynamic translation, Listen to my flute hmm? and come to me. Drop everything. Hmm? Hmm. And what you will find is you had nothing to drop. Hmm? <laughs> nothing was yours. It's all mine and you're my friend. Hmm? Whatever is mine is yours. Don't struggle to own. Don't struggle to know. I know everything. I own everything. Hmm? And I love you. Hmm? Nothing left to do. Right? Love is an effortless effort. Hmm? So here, in speaking of yoga, obviously then I'm going in the direction of, of bhakti, which according to the Gita is the full face of yoga. Yoginam apisarvesham atgyotinam taratmanam shadhavan bhajate yogam same yukta tamo mataha It's very practical. In other words, we may... Connect. Yoga means it has a positive connotation. Connect, to link, to add. Hmm? We may connect physically, we may connect intellectually, mentally, or we may make a heart connection. Obviously, the last, the latter is most comprehensive. Hmm? The mind may stop. The body may become paralyzed. But as long as the heart is beating, there's hope. You follow? So, so mind, the mental system, the body. Hmm? I'm separating, obviously, the heart from the body, but hmm? speaking, of course, esoterically, we come to yoga. A love. Hmm? Love is symbolized by the heart within the body. Hmm? That around which the whole body functions, that which the whole, where all the blood should go, I guess, hmm? before it doesn't go there, then it stops everywhere, something like that. So, Krishna, of course, as an, as an aside, hmm. not too far aside from our discussion thus far, 
uh, he represents uh, graphically iconography in, an icon, in art in uh, various expressions um, this very heart of divinity hmm? characterizing the idea of almost a romantic affair with the absolute hmm? this is very a very comprehensive idea of connecting with our our source like a young girl would with a young boy hmm? such that that if you say he's not good for you hmm? then that only become that only increases the fire hmm? right then <laughs> uh, i find a way if, if you don't no matter what the world says hmm? this is the idea and the world speaks loudly to us and we've been preoccupied with a sense of self derived from a sense of identification with, with, the, with the mind and the senses, an I that comes from a sense of my, when nothing belongs to us. Hmm? The I that derives from our sense of my is as false as our sense of ownership. We said we're renters, we own nothing. Hmm? And our I, our personality, our ego, is made up of all of our my's, which are all false. You understand? It's my country, so I am an American. It's my whatever. You know, if you follow me, our desires, our wants, what we want, what we think we have, what we don't want, wish we didn't have. This makes up our personality. Nothing belongs to us, so the I that derives from that is as false as the sense of proprietorship hmm, is. Hmm. But our identification with that sense of I hmm, is very deep. That's very powerful. Hmm. Been going on for a long, long, long time, according to the sutras of Vedanta. How long have we been so identified? The answer comes, anadi. Anadi means there's no beginning to that, and don't think about it. think about this you have an opportunity to change that what kind of opportunity can change that habits formed in youth are difficult to overcome Hmm? that must be a very powerful influence that could change the course categorically of our life from outer pursuit to inner pursuit and then to go there to do that systematically Hmm? to get the idea even the inspiration and a sense of urgency for, for such pursuit. In spite of the fact that the whole world is calling us, especially if we're young. Everybody wants a youth. Hmm? Hmm? It's one of the reasons, of course, that we find the Godhead Krishna depicted as a youth. Adolescence is most desirable. Hmm? It's most desirable in one sense, and it is the time in which we have an existential crisis. At least we should have it then and end it then, not at 50 again, but... (laughs) Krishna, being the heart of divinity, is actually divinity himself, divinity itself in existential crisis. Krishna means the Godhead trying to understand the power of bhakti that is Radha. And overwhelmed by that, captivated by that, chasing after it even. Hmm? Bhakti is 
this kind of yogam hmm, that can forge a union with divinity hmm, that turns the table. In other words, the ordinary course, if you will, is here is the God and here is the, uh, you know, the God is above and the devotee is below and there is God, the object of worship, then there is the worshiper and then there is the method of worship and bhakti in the full sense of the term. In, in, in our lineage, we practice bhakti. It's called rag bhakti. Hmm? Rag bhakti. Rag means bhakti with passion. Hmm? Uh, not out of law, not out of obligation. Hmm? Uh, and this bridges the gap between the worshiper and the worshipped. Hmm? And it makes it such that the worship doesn't look like worship. In other words, the tables are turned hmm? in the full measure of bhakti. And the Godhead becomes, like my, my Guru Maharaj used to say, all the religions are interested in worshipping God. Hmm? And we are interested in she who God worships. That's very different. Hmm? <coughs> that God has a worshipable object. What is that? You see how I'm saying? You're turning the tables upside down. Hmm? God is the worshipable object, noble and so forth. And, hmm? And the idea that God will have a worshipable object. What is that? This is what we mean by Radha. This is the Hare of Hare and Krishna. Hmm? And there's a little Radha in every, 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 every bhakta, every bhaktin, every devotee. There's a little bhakti, a little Radha. Hmm? Hmm? That means Hladini, Haladini, Shakti. Hmm? This has the power this bhakti, this kind of measure of love to turn the table. So Krishna is depicted as chasing after Radha, conquered by her love. Krishna made a promise in the Gita, As people approach me in love, I will reciprocate accordingly. I'm the center. I'm Rasaraj. All... All kind of, I know everything about love. So any kind of love you approach, I can reciprocate in kind. Hmm? But in the Bhagavat, the sequel to the Gita, where the narrative of the life of Krishna is, is, is relayed in, in, in great detail, hmm? and charm and beauty, hmm? focusing on different sentiments of love for Krishna that are depicted there in friendship, in, in paternal love, in servitude, in romantic love, and so forth. Hmm? These are the forces of the world, really. Dasyam, Sakyam, Vatsalyam, Madhujam. Not gravity, electromagnetism, hmm? strong and weak nuclear force. They all pertain to the objective world, which is but a shadow of the substance of the subjective world. Hmm? And the subjective world is moving out of love. Love means, like, like I say, di- there are different shapes of that. There's parental love. Hmm? Love that you have for your children, for example. This is a form of love, or expression. There's romantic love. There's friendly love. There's love in servitude, like you might serve your teacher. Hmm? Bring him an apple. Hmm? Something like that. Hmm? So, all these kinds of love hmm? that are really the driving force of, our, of everyone's life. Hmm? It doesn't matter if someone is studying 
whatever, let's say the natural world through one of the sciences, let's say physics, he's preoccupied there in the lab. Hmm? This is what he's interested in, the forces of the world, what really makes the world go round. Hmm? This is my real interest. And then he gets a phone call hmm? and hears, your son is in the hospital. Immediately drop everything and go there. Hmm? What are the force driving the world, you see? It is love. Hmm? Love is the force driving the world. Hmm? We have capacity to love. And love implies some kind of freedom. Hmm? And love is, knows no law. Hmm? So yogam, a method, hmm? a different method, a method for going within. Hmm? It's only connected to the dharma in terms of dharma being a moral law in as much as in order to sit, for example, in yoga, hmm? how well you can sit will be determined by how you walk. If we sit to go within, that will be determined, the extent to which we can sit and actually go within will be determined to a large extent by how we walk in the outer world. Hmm? That's why yoga, for example, Astanga yoga, has a moral premise to it. It has its yamas and niyamas. Hmm? That's the part people like to skip over. Let's just get right into the meditation. You know? <laughs> Let's just do the dhyan and samadhi. Let's start there. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> First yama niyama. Hmm? And with this regard to stanga yoga or jnana yoga, some of the some of the yamas and niyamas are a little bit formidable. Hmm? Like brahmacharya. Hmm? Some of them are more appealing, like ahimsa, hmm? <laughs> and so forth. Yeah? I'm speaking in a classical sense, from where the, the yoga, you know, comes from the sacred texts and so forth. These things, the point being, the moral law has some place in relation to the inner world, in relation to the vehicle, the chariot from the inner world that comes to take us there. As much as we have one foot here and we're trying to step one foot there, we have to step here in lightly. Here we have to step in the outward world, outward world lightly. Try not to step on anyone as far as possible. We think that by stepping on others, we'll get ahead. We have to learn to have be, to be stepped on. So we find the yogis always putting their heads down on the floor. And, What's down there? <laughs> Your prospect lies there, actually. Hmm? Not in trying to be the master, hmm? but trying to be the servant. Hmm? This is very backwards thinking, of course. Hmm? But the fact is that, you will, that, 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 that the giving is the receiving. That's not logical. Hmm? So don't look for life to be logical in a real sense of the term. The answer to logic, that reason will be placed on the altar. No. It does not make sense that receiving is giving or giving is receiving. But it's a fact. When you give, you grow. You would think, I will have less. Hmm? But no. Hmm. And love. Love is two. Becoming one and remaining two. And if you want the full expression of love, you also need three and a four and a five. What am I saying? I thought three was a crowd. No, not in the subjective world. Hmm? There the full play of love hmm? finds its expression. For example, the love between Radha and Krishna described in the narratives of the leelas of Krishna. Hmm? 
is only fully experienced hmm, with the help of his and her friends. This is a fact. This is a, this is a point of Siddhanta, hmm, Tattva in Bhakti. Hmm? With a little help from my friends, something like that. I go back away. So, uh, and that means something else. Very nice. That in bhakti, in the yoga of bhakti, you can have friends. Hmm? What I mean by that is, let us say we have friends. Hmm? For, a, for, gaining freedom from samsara. But let's say we make a bond with other like-minded persons. We hold hands tightly and we say, we will leave the samsara. Let us give one another strength for this. Samsara means, you know the way, this, uh, the, the, the objective world, the world of birth, the appearances of birth and death. That hmm? I'll cast a light on that shadow, see what it really is. There is no death. Hmm? Hmm? So let's say we make a bond. We will leave samsara. Hmm? And we should. The problem is, this is a friendship for a purpose. Hmm? You understand? Friendship for a purpose other than itself. That means a fair-weather friend. Hmm? I'll be a friend with you, you'll be a friend with me if we can both, if we can attain this. So I'm a friendship with you for another purpose other than for friendship itself. Hmm? And in that pursuit, and this is a noble pursuit, hmm, there are types of yoga that pursue simply leaving the samsara, mukti, hmm, freedom, liberation, peace, shanti, 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 where the thought is that all differentiation is the cause of problem. Hmm? Hmm? Differentiation means you're different from me, you're different, so no, we change all, we all be one. But we won't all be, there will just be one. There'll be no friends there. Hmm? That's the point I'm making. Hmm? Hmm. You, can't, you can't, Buddha's wise, but he doesn't have any friends. Hmm? <laughs> there are no friends in nirvana. Hmm? It is nirvana. Hmm? It is extinguishing all the differentiation. And that's a good way to end suffering. There's no doubt about that. And ending suffering is joyful. But is there any joy... that exceeds merely the idea of no suffering. Do you follow me? No suffering. That sounds good. Hmm? But it has a negative con- connotation at the same time. It's kind of a positive, negative connotation. That would be pretty Buddhist for you. It's kind of a zero that has positive content compared to negative numbers of karma where you're just going backwards, going down in the quicksand. You come to zero and it's kind of a full zero, um, suffering is over. I just found out I had cancer, so I'm suffering mentally, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to deal with it. And then I go to the doctor and I find out, oh, it was somebody else's scan that we were looking at. You don't have, you go, wow, there's a huge relief, right? You can imagine. You can call that, but you don't just stand in that moment and, I don't have cancer, I don't have cancer. You can't say that forever. I don't have cancer. I don't. Have, you have to go out and do something, right? Is there anything to do? Hmm? 
Is there any movement in transcendence? Transcendence is sometimes described in some schools as Brahman. Yeah, it's a nice description, Brahman. It means like all-pervasive consciousness, Brahman. It has an unmoving connotation, which is peaceful, because our movement here is all based on our desires. We have desires, so we have to move. Try it. Just want something, and then your, your problems have begun. Yeah, you have to get up, you have to do something, you have to go somewhere. Uh, I have to make an effort. Hmm? So stop. Stop wanting. Hmm? You don't have to go anywhere, and you find out, you, you enter within, you find out Brahman is everywhere. So there's this stillness, peaceful. Hmm? If you're everywhere, you can't move. Because hmm? you're already everywhere. Right? So the absolute is, is depicted in this way, and accurately so, philosophically speaking, as a stillness. Hmm? That stillness is very positive in comparison to the movement of desire, and so, which is so troublesome. But the further question comes, and this was, comes in the school of bhakti, Brahman is moving. It's, it's not moving. It's still. It's everywhere. It's completely peaceful. Hmm? But is there anything more than peace? Can we have peace and love? Hmm? And love is more than, than, love is about giving. That means it's more than just not taking. The karmic world means taking. I'm taking, I'm taking. Hmm? And because I've taken, I owe. And I owe, I owe, so, as they say, off to work I go. Hmm? A struggle. Hmm? So if I stop taking, hmm? That's good, but it's not taking, giving. It's part of giving, but it's not the whole face of it. What Bhakti speaks about is giving, in which not taking is already there, in which Brahman is attained, but now something else. What is that? That which is everywhere and can't move is moving. How can that be? How is that possible? Hmm? How can Brahman move? If God is everywhere, how can God move? Hmm? That's what we call lila. It is a kind of movement that looks like karma, but it's very different. It's fueled out of something else. Because karma is movement out of emptiness. I feel a need. I feel that I've identified with an empty bag here, so I feel empty. Hmm? I've identified with something that won't endure, so I'm struggling, moving, in the hopes that it somehow will endure. Hmm? That's not going to happen. So <laughs> We should give that up. But, but there's another kind of movement, not out of lacking, but out of fullness. You can be so full of happiness that you have to move. That's what we call it. This is dancing. That is Leela. Brahman is dancing. Hmm? Nietzsche, Nietzsche, he said, if there's a God, he would be a dancer. Hmm? That is Krishna. Hmm? He is dancing. And what is, the, what, is, what is it that can make that which is everywhere move? What is that? That is bhakti. And therefore Krishna is bowing to bhakti. Hmm? Because of you I'm moving. Hmm? Because of the love of my devotee, I've reached such a pitch that I, I can but pay attention to that. Indeed, I am conquered by that. Hmm? You see, if I could control you physically, 
That would be one thing. It would be uncomfortable, but you would know it. If I could control you mentally, you might not know it. But I could manipulate you. And, I mean, I'm not that kind of person, but <laughs> somebody could. <laughs> hmm? It's more subtle and more comprehensive, but insidious. Hmm? And more so than the physical controlling. It's like white-collar crime compared to blue-collar crime. Hmm? So this controlling, being controlled, is sounds, sounding uncomfortable. But now if I could control you by love, you would say, well, that might not be so bad. And indeed, if I could control you by love, what is the implication? You will control me also. That is the nature of love. If I, if, if I love you, you will love me. Hmm? If I'm only concerned about what you want, how can you not pay attention to me, right? Hmm? Whenever you want, and he's there. <laughs> you cannot ignore such a person. Hmm? Your heart is given to him. So in love, hmm, you see, Krishna controls by love, and Krishna is controlled by love. Hmm? That is very beautiful. Hmm? That is the power of bhakti. Hmm? That is why I said the tables turn, and Krishna is bowing to bhakti. Hmm? Hmm? In bhakti, we can make a pact. We can hold hands with one another and say, let us do bhakti. Remember before I said, let's hold hands together and get out of samsara. Hmm? So we have a purpose in mind. Let's be friends in order to do something else. Hmm? These friends won't stay with you. Hmm? But in bhakti, you can have friends. And why? Because having friends is bhakti. Hmm? <laughs> because you will make friends with other like-minded persons. For loving Krishna, for example. Hmm? Hmm? And loving the devotee of Krishna is included within loving Krishna. That's very practical. Because if you love me, then you love my dog. Hmm? That's automatic. Hmm? If you love me, then the things that I like, you, you just find them accommodating. <laughs> you like it. Hmm? You might not have liked that dog, but if it's mine and you love me, then you know. <laughs> Okay, he's not that bad. Mm. Right? Kind of cute. This is the way, this is the love psychology works like this. Mm. So in bhakti, you can have friends. Mm. That's very beautiful. That means we can leave through bhakti yoga the, the differentiation that arises from the world of the mind. Mm. I like this, I don't like that, the duality. Mm that makes you different at odds with me. You think it's hot, I think it's cold. We've got a problem. Hmm? The problem is neither of us are understanding the nature of being. Hmm? You think it's hot, I think it's cold. It's neither one. Hmm? These are only perceptions of the senses and the mind, filtered hmm? perception of the nature of being. So we want to leave that differentiation behind. It's false. Underlying all of that, we are all the same. We're all units of consciousness. Hmm? Hmm? Now, if we pursue that that reality, what we are, we are, we are. Let's talk about being and becoming. In bhakti, there is being and becoming. Hmm? Being means I am Satchitananda. Hmm? Such is my nature. I am Satchitananda. Hmm? 
But if I begin to practice in pursuit of that, hmm, my emphasis is on the Ananda aspect of myself. I have a capacity to love. Hmm? So I have to repose it somewhere. Hmm? Hmm? In the beginning stages, what will be the dharmic or moral underpinning? Hmm? What will be the specific moral law for bhakti? How will the bhakta be guided with regard to the moral law? It will be like this. Whatever helps my bhakti, I will accept it. Whatever is unfavorable for my bhakti, I will reject it. Hmm? Very simple, but not so easy to do. Hmm? But very simple. You don't have to go, for, this is the moral law, don't do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, all the do's and don'ts. Don't worry about that. If it's favorable for bhakti, you accept it. If it's unfavorable for bhakti, you reject it. You become a mystic like this very quickly because your sense of what's good or bad determined by your mind will now be determined by a transrational ideology. Hmm? That means to say, it may feel good to my mind and my body, but it may not be favorable for bhakti. So, I reject it. There's no longer my good. and My, my good is not being dictated hmm, by the mind and senses. Neither my bad is being dictated by the mind and senses. So what will happen? I will transcend thought and action, mind and senses. Hmm? This is where dharma, hmm, as a moral law, goes to its limit, hmm? in a sense. It starts to become part of love. In other words, what I will give up, what I will renounce, will be what is not favorable to bhakti. In other words, I'm not engaging in detachment, in isolation, but I'm engaging in detachment in relation to my pursuit of love. If it's not favorable for love, I will reject it. Some schools just want you to detach. That's pretty odd. <laughs> okay. Hmm? We'll go home tonight and stop thinking. Hmm? That's uh, not a very real user-friendly type of approach. But it, it's, some people like it. <laughs> or they say they do. But bhakti is, is different in this way. And if, if for the sake of bhakti, that means... Let's take a very let's take brahmacharya for example celibacy as I said earlier this is a, one of the yamanayamas of of astanga yoga it's not one of bhakti hmm? there may be an instance which it's favorable for you to have an emotional partner hmm? to pursue bhakti most people are like that hmm? in bhakti no problem you can do that this is the power of bhakti. Hmm? If your psychology is otherwise, then it may be better to... Uh, you can forego that. Hmm? So you find many examples in bhakti, in the history, of mystics, like Thakur Bhakti Vinod. He had ten children. He's a very, this is, in our school, extraordinary uh, uh, mystic in, in bhakti. So he wasn't just living in a cave, hmm? so to speak, renouncing, detaching everything. So bhakti had... Love has this power. You see, to turn faults into ornaments. Hmm? The idea is not to get out of the rain, but to learn to dance in it. Hmm? This idea of bhakti is very positive. Hmm? And the detachment, then, is just the beginning of love. It has a positive connotation. So, the moral ground, if you will, hmm, on which the dharma, which, which the, the yoga of bhakti is performed, 
it starts to take on a a, a characteristic that's that's uh, that uh, like the inner world itself, hmm? like loving. Hmm? It's all determined by that. Hmm? It has its roots there. Hmm? It orbits around that. Hmm? Hmm? And it's very user-friendly in this way. Hmm? Then you can have friends and go there. Hmm? When the milkmaidens, gopis, gopijana, they heard the flute of Krishna, hmm? they went. They heard the flute sound of Krishna, they went. And they all went, left their home. This is the narrative of the Leela. They went in the night. They had many thousand and eight reasons not to go. The world gives us so many reasons. Now you come, you get inspiration, and you think, that was one thing he said, or one thing she said. It was so, oh, that meant so much to me. That was so... And then we'll go away and rationalize, and the world will speak to us. Oh, wasn't that great? It was okay. And anyway, i got other things to do. <coughs> and so forth. This is a problem. Hmm? Hmm. We should avoid that. Hmm? Auspicious things should be done immediately. Hmm? If they're determined, this is auspicious should do it immediately. Hmm? Such opportunities uh, should not be passed by. Hmm? They will, of course, appear to be auspicious, compelling, but at, but at some risk. No, don't think like that, as I said. There's nothing to risk. Everything to gain. Hmm? First we'll think all risked. Will there be anything gained? It's just a theory. I don't know. Hmm? But as we go forward with good help, maybe even get a push, we find, hmm, oh, there was no risk, and there was all gain. Hmm. I had nothing. I thought I did. Hmm. I had nothing. Hmm. What I have gained in comparison. Hmm. Hmm. They went, the because they went in the night. Each one heard individually, they went. And then they found, oh, you heard, and you heard. Hmm? This way they made friendship hmm? in bhakti. Hmm? And friends of the same feather flocked together as they did in an orbit hmm? around uh, making the circumference of the center, around the center of Krishna. Hmm? Hmm? Hmm. So when we put together in this way, Dharma and yoga, hmm? and yoga arguably reaching its culmination in bhakti, a yoga, a bond, a connection by love, hmm? then these two words come together. Hmm? And in our school, our concern is prema, prema dharma, prema bhakti. Dream and Dharma, they become together. Hmm? They become one. Hmm? Ordinarily, in the sacred text, there's Dharma and there's Gyan. You do Dharma, you live a religious life, then you get insight into Brahman, spiritual life, from religious life to experiential spiritual life. Hmm? And as you get footing in experiential spiritual life, acting in the world is of no consequence. How you should act is because you're not acting. You're a contemplative, for example. Hmm? Hmm. Sometimes young monks, they live in our ashram, they come and they think, 
for a while, I think, what is the significance of what I'm doing in relation to the world? You know, here I am out in the forest here, and and and, and Swami's got me in Central America, or you know, up in the mountains of Northern California, in the Appalachians, in North Carolina, where we have our ashrams, and it's beautiful and all, but. Here I am doing this chanting and meditating. Well, what is the significance of this in relation to the, to the world that's going on? Hmm? I had a student ask me like this. I said, come with me. We went to San Francisco. We have an ashram in Northern California, Mendocino County, and the Redwoods is very beautiful. I took him, let's go to San Francisco. But, but I asked you a question, let's go to San Francisco. We go to San Francisco. We came to the Golden Gate Bridge. Hmm? So you're coming now from the forest to the bridge. There is the city, San Francisco, with all the lights. Let's cross the bridge. Look to the left. What do you see? Alcatraz. There's a little island there. (laughs) That is the world. (laughs) Alcatraz is the world. Hmm? San Francisco. Yeah, that is something. That is like compared. That is like to love God and reverentially. And to live in a small, quiet place in the woods, it is, this is where the intimacy hmm, of ragabhakti is possible. Hmm? After a while, such a person will start to think, the whole thing will change. What significance, of what significance is the world to my practice? My practice is so big, so accommodating. The whole world looks like Alcatraz. It is breaking rocks. Well, of course, they're not there anymore, but it is breaking rocks. Breaking rocks. Hmm? What, do you, what do you want to do today? Let's break some rocks. Okay. Well, let's try some of those big ones today, you know. Yesterday we did the small ones. Let's break some rocks. Hmm? Yeah. This is the world. It's very small. It's very insignificant. The outer world. The inner world, the subjective world. So many possibilities lie there. Hmm? These leelas I'm talking about, they're real-life leelas. In other words, this is when God plays. God is omniscient, knows everything. There's a problem with omniscience. It's boring. If you know everything, what can you do? You already know what's going to happen. You can't move, you're frozen. Hmm? So Krishna means the omniscient, absolute. Bored with omniscience tells us something. Knowing everything is not the ideal. Loving is knowing. Hmm? Even when loving appears to be Ignorance at times. Bliss is ignorance. Ignorance is bliss. Loving appears to be sometimes a kind of an unknowing. You don't know what's good for you. Hmm? You're, 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 what about, you know, he doesn't have a job. How can you love him or her? Your love knows no reason. It's a problem. Hmm? Hmm. But love at the same time is a kind of knowing. Hmm? If you if you love someone, hmm? and you can live in the, in the hollow of a tree, it doesn't matter, hmm? right? It's not how big the space is, how accommodating the space is that makes it big. Accommodation, love, can make a small space very very big, hmm? very comforting. Hmm? Love is a kind of essential knowing. In the Gita, Krishna asks, says to Arjuna in the ninth chapter, Rajivijam Rajaguhyam, Pabhita Midam Uttamam. 
Listen to me, Arjuna. This is in the center of the book. It's 18 chapters. Ninth chapter is right in the center where you hide secrets. He says, this chapter we talk about this. Rajavidya. I will explain how the king of knowledge. Rajavidya, Rajukuyam. The king of secrets. You go through the chapter at the end. He says, That's it. This is the secret. What is it? Love me. What? That's all. You serve me. That's all. It is a big thing. So big. It may sound small, but what possibilities lie in giving? It is the getting. And in taking, or any kind of partial, or not taking, you cannot get everything that you can experience by giving, by loving. This is bhakti. This is yoga. This is how to connect with Bhagwan, with the Godhead. How to overwhelm the Godhead, indeed. Even if he wanted to kick you out, he couldn't. Even if you, even if you, <laughs> even if you could. That's not a good example. You misbehave there. But, uh, the bond of love is such. So this is some few thoughts on Dharma and Yoga. Thank you very much. Any question? Yes. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Maharaj, for the wonderful talk. Um, forgive me for my lack of eloquence, so I'll try to do my best. <laughs> That's okay. Um, this was a nice thing that we, I guess we've all learned when we were growing up, giving is receiving. So, can you explain a little bit about um, how, for example, someone, people generally like to do charity, and their general conception is that if I give a lot of charity, then I'll receive more back or whatever, compliments or tats, returns or whatever. But suppose someone, you know, gives a lot of charity, but they're bad qualities, they're envious of someone who gives more than them, or they're just angry all the time. So can you explain a little bit how devotional service is not considered like a ordinary, like, pious activity where, you know, your bad qualities remain, and therefore you remain unsatisfied. Despite giving so much, you kind of remain poor because you like basically wisdom. So is there any... Um, In any kind of giving, you will grow. Hmm? But if you make motions of giving, you see, giving is not, it's not the motion, hmm? but it, it is the intention. Hmm? Uh, the, the, what, 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 hmm, what really looms larger is the giver as opposed to the gift. Hmm? So, giving is a, is, is, is an, is, is an intention. Therefore, if children give, although the offering substantially, materially speaking, may be lacking, then we, we accept, we love, we, we, we embrace, we are charmed by it nonetheless. There's a story in the Mahabharata, which the Gita is one section of, Bhagavad Gita. And Krishna was, our, was, a, was uh, uh, invited to, uh, to the capital of Hastinapur, and a big feast was arranged for him, and parade and so forth. He was coming as a prince. And Duryodhan, who was organizing all this, was doing this for a reason. He wanted Krishna to be on his side in the upcoming, uh, as it would be, uh, war. 
That is the setting of the Bhagavad Gita. Hmm? And and uh, and in war was such that, that Duryodhana wanted to fight against Krishna's devotees. That's the basic story. So Krishna came to the town, but he ignored the whole arrangement hmm, for the feast and everything like that. And he just went to Vidura's house, who was a simple devotee of himself. And Vidura was not home, but his wife was there. And Krishna said, I've come all this way. I'm very hungry. Can you feed me? And she said, Krishna's in my house. Oh, my God. And you, are, and you came here for the whole... Th- and and th- there's a feast over there. And you can... He says, I'm not eating over there. She said, why not? He, said, he doesn't like my devotees. So, I'm like him. This is his idea. Says, but I'm hungry. Can you give me something? She said, I don't have anything. And he, she said... He said, well, what about the bananas? Now, like, bananas, is not like considered food. It's just like there, you know. It's not like you prepared it with love and offered it and so forth. <laughs> well, okay, I got bananas here, you know. So, so she's peeling the bananas, and in her ecstasy, she's giving Krishna the peels and throwing away the bananas. And Krishna's eating the peels. <laughs> this is the, the idea. So it's the intention, right? So... If you want to give, there's two things that you have to have in place in order that the giving will really constitute receiving as it's said to be. Hmm? As much as that is in pl- these things are in place, as much as you'll experience that giving is receiving. Those two things are, one, on your side, you, their intention has to be giving. Hmm? So without expectation of getting. So as long as there's an expectation of getting connected to the giving, then you're not giving entirely, until you will not get, if you will, or receive entirely. But let's say your intention is pure, and there's the idea of unconditional love or giving, even if people, you know, treat you bad or whatever. Hmm? You give anyway. So let's say you, you, you give completely of your heart. Hmm? Well, first of all, I think we should qualify that, because it's not possible to give completely of your heart, hmm? as long as there are desires in your heart. Hmm? As long as you yourself are identified with the body-mind complex and you have, therefore, needs and you're involved in the struggle for existence, hmm, then your capacity to give is compromised on some level. Hmm? Still, there are better examples of giving and lesser examples of giving, even though the giving may be in, the, in a place that, that doesn't have the capacity to reciprocate. Hmm? So any kind of giving, that's a good start. And the more that the giving does not have a receiving attached to it, hmm, then there is no expectation. Then whatever you do get, well, you see it's a plus. You weren't expecting anything. Hmm? Hmm? And if you give as purely, if you will, as you can in your materially kind of conditioned state, hmm, where to an object that cannot accept what you're giving. Because the acceptance of the giving is what constitutes the reciprocation hmm, that will be your getting. Hmm? So you give, but the person couldn't appreciate it or you know, what, what not, so you feel like, well, I did all that, I gave. You know. But so what happens is if you, if you do give, gradually the giving itself will refine the object Hmm? In other words, the giving will find its way to the right object. And that's what we mean in bhakti by Krishna. Krishna means the perfect object. Therefore, Krishna is depicted as a taker. Hmm? 
There was a guy not so long ago who said to one of my students, he was a Christian, he said, you know, in your religion, hmm, we have a better idea of God than you. Why? He said, because our religion, it, that God is a sacrificer. Christ, he's a sacrifice. He made the greatest sacrifice. In your religion, God is like a playboy or something like that. Krishna is like an enjoyer. Ugh. Just the opposite. See? He said. So I said, yes, the thing is, if there is a giver, a sacrificer, there has to be a taker on the other end to give to. Hmm? There has to be such an enjoyer on the other end. Hmm? You can't just give in where you're going to give. Hmm? So if, if the Christ is an example of giving, who's he giving to? Hmm? And how will we depict the one who's taking? Hmm? Of course, if you look at the example further, the taker, Krishna, takes because he is the taker. I mean, you can't get around that. He is the sustainer. He is the nourisher. Hmm? So, and he does indeed that. In other words, he is such because, by just like the stomach, by the stomach's taking, rather than any other part of the body, food, what happens? If my hand gives food to my tongue, my tongue sends food to the stomach, and if one day the hand says to the, to the tongue, why are we giving to the stomach all the time? You know, maybe we should keep it for ourselves. You take half, I'll take half. Hmm? That's not a good policy, right? Because neither the hand nor the tongue have the capacity to transform the gift of the food in such a way that it will nourish all the parts. This is Krishna. He's a giver too. Hmm? Because as I said, if you love someone, they love you. Hmm? So when you give to the center, the center gives back. So this is the second thing. First thing, you have to have in place for comprehensive giving is you have to give without expectation of return. And secondly, to do that comprehensively, you have to find a center that can take without limit. Hmm? That's what is meant by Krishna. Hmm? So having those things in place, then you can experience the, the full idea hmm, that giving is receiving. Whereas if you give, as you were saying, with motivation for getting a return, you're not going. That's not going to be the same thing. Or if you give to an object or uh, an object that doesn't have the capacity to take, receive, which means to reciprocate hmm, fully, then you're not going to get the experience. Does that help? But give anyway, somehow, somewhere. Start. Hmm. So, anything else? You've been a very patient audience on a beautiful Sunday afternoon. I've got you inside here, deep inside, hopefully. The world, <laughs> the inner world, I appreciate very much your patience in, in listening to me and the opportunity to speak here. I used to live in Chicago when I was a kid years ago, from 8 to 18, and then the world was there to be <laughs> explored. Fortunately, I met my guru shortly thereafter, and, and now I'm returning here. So many years later, by the grace of some of my students and, and uh, the gracious host here is our host here. No, no. So please thank her for me. Dharma Yoga Ki Jai. Okay. Thank you very much.